I just heard that there was going to be a change on the 12 days of Christmas. Instead of 12 days, we're only going to do 10. No, it's because we're hungry. We, <laughs> we can't wait through the whole process. Um, well, I, I hope you heard about our noonday, uh, noon year anniversary or celebration that we're going to have next Sunday. Sunday at, uh, we're going to, we're going to quit out early, a little bit early next Sunday. And what's, what we're going to do is we're going to go into the fellowship hall and we're going to count down all the way to noon, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, and, and on noon at, uh, New Year's Eve, we're going to say happy new year. We're going to pray out the old year, pray in the new year. I mean, unless you really want to go out and brave the night and, uh, and be out with uh, all the others that are celebrating on New Year's Eve. But um, I personally would like to celebrate with you if you can. Make it. Uh, we're going to have a potluck as well. And I would like for you to join us and uh, praying in the old year, praying out the old year and praying in the new. Okay? So with that said, let me have you open up your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now check this out. There is a Christmas message in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I was wondering how I was going to get that in there. <clears throat> In, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and if you have uh, one of the pew Bibles, the black ones, it's on page 990. 990. And as you probably know, Christmas is the day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, as you probably have heard, uh, Jesus really wasn't born on December 25th. Now, December 25th happened to be the holiday or the day that was organized by the church uh, many years later after uh, after. The time had passed, and they claimed uh, October, uh, December 25th, and so then they put all the other holidays together, and it became on December the 25th uh, that they would celebrate the, the winter solstice, they would celebrate the equinox, the shortest day of the year, and uh, all these different festivals and holidays. So, so it became a tradition to remember the birth of Christ, and it wasn't until much later that Chris Kringle came in, a Turkish monk, that he came in, and he, uh, he was really... A, uh, just a, a very giving. He was a, he was poor. He was an or, he was orphaned at a young age. Not poor, but he was orphaned at a young age. And his parents were wealthy, so they they left him lots of money. And he became a a, a priest, a monk, and and he would give his monies away. And he is famously known for giving children their their gifts uh, either by hand. And he there were two young ladies that were going to be sold into prostitution because they didn't have a dowry. And so what he did is he secretly sent them some monies, put it in some stockings and hung it on their chimneys. And so this is where we get the stocking ceremony and the gifts and all that. It's a benevolence. It's a time of year that we're able to give. And I know some of you are already thinking about the gifts that you're, you've purchased. You're hoping that the gift that you bought your loved ones, your children, uh, that they, they're just so surprised. You, you, want them, you want to see the smile on their face. You want to see the excitement of all the paper that is being ripped apart. And, and so Christmas has come to be the time that we remember gifts more than anything else. Kris Kringle or Santa Claus. And, uh, and I know that for most of you, you know, if you're here and you're within the sound of my voice online, that you know that Christmas is not the day that Jesus Christ was actually born, but we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Why do we do that? Why do we celebrate his birth? You know, just a little bit of, of some history as well, some more history. When people were born at the time of Jesus, their birth dates weren't remembered. You always remembered the day they died, but you knew that they were born sometime in the spring, the winter, the summer, the fall. You knew that they were born during the time of uh, King Darius, or you were, they were born during the time of uh, King David, or during the year of the Great Fall, or whatever the case may be. There was always an event that was attached to the time that you were born. The day was not really that important. There's only two birthdays that are mentioned in the Bible, and both of them are of e uh, evil kings. One was Pharaoh. 
his birthday was remembered, and uh, the other one was um, Herod, the one that crucified Jesus Christ. Uh, excuse me, yeah, he uh, beheaded John the Baptist. If you remember the story of John the Baptist, um, he was talking to the king and, the, and to the woman, his, his girlfriend, actually, his brother's wife that he was living with, and she didn't like him, and so she ordered that his head be given to, uh, to Pharaoh, I'm excuse me, to Herod, Herod was celebrating his birthday during that time. And so they, we know that he, had, he knew his birthday and Pharaoh knew his birthday. But birthdates weren't documented. They weren't really documented. And so we don't really know when Jesus Christ was born. As you probably have heard, many people say, well, it couldn't have been during this time of the year. Uh, winters in Israel are tough. And they had to travel for a census. They had to travel by foot to their city. Uh, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch uh, over their flock at night. Uh, again, is just the weather was uh, this time of the year is really bad. So it had to be somewhere in late fall, maybe early, uh, late summer, early fall, somewhere around there. So we really don't have a date, but we have a time frame. We know that it was when there was a star in the sky, a bright light that shone above the the. Uh, the, the birth of Christ. We know that it was during the time of, of Herod. So there's a lot of indicators showing us more or less when he was born, but we don't know the day he was born. But we celebrate Christmas because that's the day that God invaded this planet. 400 years before that, the glory of God had left the temple. The glory of God left the, the planet. God's glory was seen in the temple. It was seen in the ark. It was seen during the time of the Israelites as a cloud of uh, a fire at night and then a, a cloud of smoke during the daytime. And the glory of God just was, was shining and shown. It's called the Shekinah glory of God was, sh was shown everywhere until that day when Israel just no longer followed God and the glory of God left. And they called that place the mountain, the mountain of Ichabod. The glory is gone. And so when the angels appeared before shepherds, when the angels came down in, Matt, in, in Luke chapter 2, and it says that, and the glory of the Lord shone among them, and the angels started to sing. That was the first time in 400 years that the glory of God had entered and invaded this planet. So that is very significant for us. That is very significant that we understand that God was silent for 400 years. As a matter of fact, if you look in your New Testament, uh, at the very beginning of Matthew, there is a blank page, and that blank page represents 400 years of silence. We call that the intertestamental periods. In other words, there was nothing happening. God didn't speak. God didn't come in visions. God didn't come until that day. And the most exciting news of it all was when the angels came down to this earth when God invaded this planet he invaded this planet to not the kings not to prophets not to priests not to the presidents not to the governors but he shown himself he invaded this planet and he became he came to reside with and be with shepherds now many of you are thinking yeah well okay shepherds so what shepherds were the lowliest class of that time. They lived in the field. They lived with the sheep. They stunk. They, they had no kind of education. This is all they can do. There was they'd be able to herd sheep. As a matter of fact, if there was ever a crime committed and the shepherds were to see it, their testimony was invalid. You couldn't use their testimony at court. They couldn't come to church because they were smelly. They were sheep herders. They were, you know, if they were to, if we were living at that time and shepherds would come here, Ken would have to say, nah, get out of here. You can't come here. You smell bad, uh, so go away. 
Uh, and, uh, but, but that's who God chose to bring the good news of good tidings. He chose people like you and me. Those that we don't have status. We don't have riches and fames and glory. Many of us aren't presidents or kings or, or uh, politicians. Many of us don't have an influence as some of the people. This is who God came to reside with and show us and tell us. The, uh, in the city of David, a child is born. In the city of David, there's a king that is coming, that has come to establish God's kingdom on this world. He came to bring it to you, to each one of us. And the amazing news, this, the greatest gift ever is, yes, Jesus Christ, but the greatest gift ever is the grace of God. Now, I, I want to explain this a little bit more as we go through the sermon today, but, but God's grace, if it wasn't for grace, salvation wouldn't be possible. Just want you to know this. Yes, Jesus Christ came. Yes, he was born in a manger. Yes, he was uh, a, a perfect man. He was a carpenter, and he taught, and he fed, and he raised the dead. He healed the sick. The, the, lion, the lame would walk. The blind would see. The deaf would hear. And he fed 5,000 men at one time. Then another 3,000 men at another time. It indicates that there were men. There was also other children and women possibly there. So it could have been a lot more. And yet, this man who was God incarnate, Encarnacion, this man who was Jesus Christ, God be with us, Emmanuel, God with us, this man, they murdered. They trumped up some charges, and they said that he said this, and he said that, and and they they caused the crowds to, to revolt, and they all yelled, crucify him. And so when we celebrate Christmas, you cannot detach the cross Yes, the cradle. Yes, the child. Yes, the babe. Yes, he came. He invaded. That's what we celebrate is the day that God just touched this planet for the first time in 400 years. He just touched this planet, and that place became holy. And everything from that point forward, God is making holy by his grace. Let me just read to you this last verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 18. Now, as you remember... Paul has already talked to the people in Thessalonica. He's told them about the rapture. Here, these are something. This is in the chapter uh, First Thessalonians. In First Thessalonians, chapter four, Paul talks to them about the rapture and what's going to happen. And then the day of the Lord in chapter five, he talks to them in Second Thessalonians. He talks about the lawless one, the man of sin. He talks about the spread of the gospel, and uh, he, he talks about. And he warns us against being idle. He, he says that we should be working if you're able to. And then all these, everything after he's done, he says this in verses 16, 17, and eighteen. Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace at this time. At all times, excuse me, in every way, the Lord be with you. We talked about peace last week. This peace is not just the absence of, uh, of adversity. It's not the absence of war. This peace that, that Paul is talking about is a shalom. It's a completeness. It's a fullness. It's a well-being. It's a word that they use when they talk to each other, when they, when they greet each other. When we say hello, buenos dias, Como estas, we would say, you know, they, they would say shalom. And that shalom means everything that I just mentioned. How are you? The well-being, your goodness. May your health be good. May you prosper. May you live long. And yes, may you also live without any fear, without any enemies, without any troubles. Yes, it means that as well. But it was complete. And Paul 
in his benediction at the end, he says, look, this is what I pray for you. The Lord of peace himself. And we talked about peace last week. And then he says, I write this letter. Greet, I, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Father in heaven, thank you once again. That I, I pray, Father, that we can come to see this grace that is so amazing that we sing about it. It's grace that we see and that we, we hear. Uh, amazing grace. We, we even have said this word many times ourselves, and sometimes we don't catch the full impact of that word grace. And I pray that today the greatest gift that Jesus Christ could ever give us is the grace that he bestowed upon us and how he displays that grace. So, Father, thank you once again as we go through the scripture, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen and amen. So what is grace? What is that? Grace has been known as unmerited favor. In other words, grace has been known as that which you do not deserve. The worst, vilest offenders get what they don't deserve. And what the worst, vilest offender like myself, when I receive grace, I should be receiving justice. I should receive justice for the life that I've lived, the things that I've done, the words that I've said, how I treated God in contempt, how I treated his church, how I treated his his Lord, how I treated his word. And, and, and there was a time when my life was just so full of sin. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I knew that there was nothing left for me except what God had uh, to punish me with. And so what we used to do is, is try to find a way to please God. I'd go to church. I'd try to be good. I'd try to do, but Jesus Christ, when he came onto this planet, when he came to suffer and die. When he came to live uh, to, on this planet, he came to provide for me not only this good feeling, but he came to provide for me amazing grace. Grace that is so amazing. Grace that has the ability to transform and change a person's life. Grace is essential, number one, for salvation. Grace is essential for salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The greatest gift that you can ever receive is God's grace. Grace. He, another way that I've tried to explain this, grace is that which you don't deserve. It's kind of like if I were to be speeding and get pulled over by a police officer, and if I were to get pulled over by a police officer, and if I were to be given a ticket, what he just did is he administered justice. Justice was served, and I need to now take care of that penalty, that, that trespass that I had done. I've got to take care of that penalty, and therefore, now what I have to do is to be able to take care of that and pay for it out of my own pocket. That is justice. Now, if the police officer were to have pulled me over, as I mentioned, and instead of giving me a ticket, he says, you know, I'm going to let you slide. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Maybe it's happened to me once, but most of the time I get justice. Uh, and uh, if, if it's ever happened to you and you just, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the mercy. The mercy of not giving me what I deserve. That's mercy. I deserved to get a ticket. I deserved to pay that penalty. I deserved to go to court and try to fight it. That was my penalty because I broke the law. And God is very merciful. And Every time that we break a law, he has mercy upon us and he doesn't administer justice. One day he's going to administer justice. 
One day justice is going to be administered on this planet. But right now he is administering mercy. This is why many of us get away with a lot of stuff. This is why many of us don't fall to, to, to the justice of God because God is merciful. He's merciful and he's only merciful for a certain amount of time. Now, if I were to get to that point again, get a ticket, and I would be, be uh, pulled over, and instead of, giving, instead of giving me justice, and instead of giving mercy, what the, what the police officer would do, if he were to say, you know, I pulled you over, not only, not only am I not going to give you the punishment, not only am I not going to let you go, but I'm also going to give you $1,000. Yeah, really. <laughs> Who would do that? I'm going to give you $1,000. And he pulls it out, and there's 10 100s. And I look at him and say, oh. What did I do to deserve this? You did nothing to deserve that. I'm just being very gracious right now and giving you what you don't deserve. Now, go. You see, when God gives you grace, he gives you what you don't deserve. What we deserve, he gives vile, wicked sinners eternal life. And that is what, it, what is meant by, it is by grace that you're saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. You talk about the greatest gift. The, gift, the gift that you know, the gift that you know that you've broken the law, the gift that you know that, that there's, you know, and people say, well, I'm, but I'm pretty good, though. Yeah, well, you know, have you ever lied? Well, yeah, okay, well, you're a liar. The Bible says you're a liar. Have you ever uh, taken anything that didn't belong to you? Well, yeah, maybe once or twice. It was just a pencil, but still, you took it, right? Well, that, the Bible calls you a thief. Have you ever had any impure thoughts? Well, who hasn't? Okay, well, the Bible calls you an adulterer. So you're a lying, thieving, adulterer. You know, have you ever said a bad word or used the Lord's name in vain? I says, yeah, every once in a while I stub my toe. Well, now you're a blasphemer. So you're lying, you're murderous, uh, I mean, so you're lying, uh, stealing, adultering, blasphemer. You know, and the Bible says if you've ever hated your brother or anybody, says, have you ever used it? Yeah, well, now you're a murderer. So you tell me you're good? Well, says, yeah. the Bible says that we're all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Any time that the, the, any of those things. And so therefore, what God said, he says, you know, you are saved by grace. And this not of your own. You can't work for it. You can't do anything for it. You can't uh, go to church enough for it. You can't pray enough for it. You can't give enough for it. It is by grace that you're saved through faith. Look at this next verse. In, first, in 2 Timothy 1.9, he, he saved us, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This is something that God did before the world began. And, and from the very beginning, God has been giving grace. And he gives it to who he desires to. And he gives that. We all receive grace. We have this common grace. The Bible says that everyone receives the sunshine and the rain. He causes his rain and the sun to shine upon the worthy, the, the godly, and the righteous, as well as the unrighteous. And we've all received God's grace in, the, in that manner. We receive the many facets of it. But the saving grace, this saving grace, he does so to those who he calls. And, and this, is, this is really interesting because we think about this and we say, well, how is it that, uh, that you know, I can be saved? Well, God is going to call you. And right now, the indication is that if you're here and you're listening and you're wanting to hear more about Jesus Christ, God has called you. That, that in itself is, is sufficient enough to understand that your calling is being made right now. And my response is to repent. To repent. See, one of two things happens. When, when God calls a person, either he repents or he runs. 
I have nothing to do with God. I want nothing to do with God. I'm going to stay away from God. I'm not going to be a part of this because I don't like what he's saying. I don't like what the word says. It is showing me my sin. And that's exactly what happens. The Bible shows you your sin. And he, sh- he says to you, and he says to me, he says to all of us, we are all sinners, worthy of punishment. But you know what? He gives grace. Now that is the greatest gift that you can ever think of. That is the greatest gift for us by grace that you're saved. Look, look at this next verse in Romans 3.23. For there is no distinction. In other words, it's for everybody. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God forward, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Let me kind of share that propitiation word with you. Propitiation basically means that Jesus Christ, a propitiation means to appease a God. To appease, if there's an angry God, or there's an angry deity, and he's upset, you want to propitiate or you, know, you want to pay something to be able to please him. Uh, this is why a lot of people, they, they throw in people into the volcano or they sacrifice people because they want to appease their God. What God did, he says, he sent Jesus Christ, whom he put forward as a propitiation by his blood. You don't have to pay for that. You don't have to cast anybody into a volcano, okay? You don't have to sacrifice anyone. You don't even have to sacrifice yourself because God propitiated or put Jesus Christ there. You talk about the greatest gift. He put himself in your place so that you wouldn't have to suffer that punishment. This is more than, this is better than a thousand bucks anybody can give me or a million bucks, all the money in the world because at the end you can't take it with you anyways. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Way back when, his forbearance, he saw ahead of time, you're going to be a sinner and you're going to sin. You're, you don't, you don't, you're not a sinner because you sin. Okay, get this right. You're not a sinner because you sin. See, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I sin because I'm a sinner. Because what, what my body, my flesh, what it's done is it's caused to break the laws of God. Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for each one of us. And when that makes sense in your heart, when that makes sense in your mind, when that makes sense in your life, the natural response is to say, God, have mercy on me. I have broken your laws. I have, and I've caused a lot of damage in my life, in my family's life, in my workplace. I've caused a lot of damage because of my own stupidity. And you know what the funny thing is? That all that stupidity, all that damage that I caused, in spite of all that, God still picked me. In spite of my own opinion, so he, he already saw that in his forbearance. Oh, this guy's really going to need some help. <laughs> he's, he, he's not going to do it on his own. I can't. I couldn't. And so the very first thing we find out about grace is it's essential for salvation. Number two, grace is essential for strength. Grace is essential for strength. Endurance. To keep going in this world, there's a lot of things that have happened in this world. There are a lot of things that, that I'm personally going through right now. There are a lot of things that you have gone through. There are a lot of things that, that you wonder, how in the world am I ever going to get through this? And some people have folded up, and some people have just turned it in, and some people have just left it at the door and says, you know, I, I don't want any more of this. But grace, this amazing grace, this gift of Jesus Christ on this day that we celebrate, his invasion onto this planet, his, this gift is a gift that can give you strength. 
in any situation. And in every situation, I can give you story upon story upon people who have depended upon God's amazing grace and how that strengthened them and helped them and developed them and and gave them the, the, the things that this world couldn't give. And we try to please ourselves or please others, and hopefully we're thinking maybe that'll help me feel better about myself if I buy a present for my children, my grandchildren, if I buy a bigger present. And, and when it's all said and done, you, you, you know, in about a week, you ask people, so what'd you get? You know, I don't even remember. I, I don't know. I, I know I got something because I unwrapped something, you know, and some of you probably only get one present. You say, yeah, I, I know what I got. Well, I, you know what? If nothing else, I'll give you some tamales. You can have something to unwrap, Okay. Every one of us, the things that we receive, are, I mean, it's futile. It's, it's fleeting. It's only there for a moment, and we let it go. That's it. But the grace that God gives strengthens you, builds you up, helps you, establishes you, stands you strong. Paul was struggling with this thorn in his flesh. He was struggling with this, this one area in his life that he just couldn't overcome. And he says, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. Three times I prayed. Lord, remove this thorn from me. We don't know what this thorn was. We don't know it wasn't an actual thorn, but it was something that was causing him struggles, and it was causing him pain, and it was causing him to lose focus, and he kept focusing on God. God, get this away from me. I want to do your work. And then he comes to the realization that God says to him, you know, but he said to me, this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. That's all you need. You think you can't make it through the day? You think that you've got, you come up across something that is just unbearable? You've come to a place where you just can't seem to see or face another day? You, you believe that, you know, that this is, the, this is the, the lot that you have and life is just on, on you and you're oppressed and you're pressured and you're anxious and you're worried? Jesus Christ says, my grace, that which you don't deserve. That which, you know, that, that you should deserve the punishment, but I'm going to give you some grace so you can get through this. This is more than a billion bucks. This is more than anything that the world could ever give you. He says, look at the rest of this. For my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. As a matter of fact, the weaker you are, the stronger you're going to get. The weaker you are in life. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Yeah, you know what? I'm really struggling. And praise God for that. And people are looking at him and saying, what? What are you, nuts? Yeah, I'm boasting about my weakness. I'm boasting about that thorn. I'm having a good time because every time that I'm weak and I look at that and I focus on it, I know that God's getting me through this. I have to get through this. Therefore, I will boast more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then, what? I am strong. And I I don't want to belittle any of the struggles that you may be going through. I, I, I know that they're real. I know that some of you guys have gone or are going through stuff that, you know, that you shouldn't feel that you need to. And, uh, you know, again, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, my mom passed away last Christmas or right before Christmas. My, my brother right now is in the hospital, same situation. We're going to have to pull the plug this week sometime. You know, I understand this. I understand the suffering of the loss. And I understand the, the, when you lose a job or, or relationships. Yeah, I understand. You know, and I, I don't understand exactly what you're going through, but I know that God does. And I don't want to belittle what you're going through. I don't want to say that, you know, oh, don't worry about it. No, 
All I know is that when grace is given, it is essential for strength. And it'll give you the strength that you need. As a matter of fact, Joshua, God had to tell them over and over again, have I not commanded you? By this time, Joshua was given the uh, commandment, don't be afraid, do not worry, do not be anxious, don't, be, don't fear. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And in Hebrews 4.16, it says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to find in time of need. See, both words are used there. Mercy. You know what? God's not going to give you what you deserve. You know what? He's not going to give it to you. He's going to give you mercy. You know what? I understand. I know you. You're my son. I'm not going to give you this. But not only that, I'm also going to give you grace in the time of need. I like the way the King James Version puts it. King of Hebrews 4, 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. The, the, verse, the version that you have there says, Let us then come with confidence, draw near to the throne. With confidence, same thing, but boldly. It says, you know, you can approach the throne of grace boldly as long as you do so in humility and meekness and you, you understand that, that we are sinners. We don't deserve this, but God, you give it to me and, and I, I come to you with boldness knowing because of who you are, not because of who I am. And, and you see, when you, when you understand grace, grace is essential for salvation. God's going to give you what you don't deserve. And when you recognize that, you either do one of two things. Either you repent or you run. If you run, then, you know, the, the second part of this strength, it's, it's not available if you run. And if you run, you, many people are running scared, running tired, burning the candle in both ends. You know, I'm, so, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. So you, some people say it four or five times. You know, I'm sick and tired of sick and tired, you know, just because you, you've been running. You've been running. Repent. You want the strength? Repent. That's the strength that he gives. The, it's, it's essential for salvation. And so when you receive the salvation and you understand it and you start working with the salvation, you understand, you know, I, I didn't deserve this, God. And he says, that's okay, because you know what? You didn't deserve that. And you don't deserve the strength I'm going to give you either, but I'm going to give it to you. My grace is sufficient for you. But God, I don't deserve that strength. I, I, I don't. I, you know, I should be falling apart. I should be, I should be gone. But number three, check this out. Grace is essential for service. Grace is essential for service. I believe that one of the biggest things that people contribute into this planet and into your life is you, that you stand for something. One of the biggest fears of people's lives is that I don't do anything. I wish I can do something for somebody. I, I want to do something of... You know, great cause. I want to be involved in something that is bigger than me. I want to, I want to be able to contribute onto this planet. I, I've been a consumer. I've consumed and I've taken and I've eaten and I've filled and it still doesn't satisfy. You know what satisfies? Is when you give. When you serve. When you do something for somebody. And you know this. You sense that. You see somebody on the corner and, you, you know, you, see, you're, you only got a few bucks. And you say, you know what, man, here. And it makes you feel good. It's one of the reasons we're giving gifts this time of the year because it makes us feel good when we serve, when we give uh, in service, when we do something for someone, we mow somebody's lawn, we help uh, a lady open her car and load her groceries or, or, you know, walk a little old lady across the street. I'm about there. You can walk this little old man across the street if you want. You, you know, when we do something for somebody else and God says, this grace that I've given you, this grace is essential for service when you do it for the kingdom of God. From the very beginning, what Paul says 
in Romans chapter 12. Look at this. Paul gives you, when you repent, for, for your, when, when salvation comes and you repent and you don't run, you have grace for, for strength. And then he gives you grace for service. He says, having, the, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let me pause there for a moment. When a child is born again, when a child is born, first of all, when a child is born, he already has some innate qualities, some something inside of him that's going to make him uh, to be active, not active. He's going to be able to uh, do certain things quicker, some, some not as quick. There's just some things that he's already gifted with. We call those talents or abilities. When you become born again, a Christian, you, bec- you have spiritual gifts. And these gifts are given according to the grace that was given to you. And so everyone has a different gift. As a matter of fact, the apostle goes on to say, you know, let us use it. If you have the gift of prophecy, well, you know, prophesy. In exhortation, in, well, in his exhortation, in other words, give comfort. Or, um, yes, and the one who contributes, well, let him do it genu- genu- uh, generously. Uh, the one who leads with zeal. In other words, with you know, if you're a leader, go for it, man, do it. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. If you like helping people out in mercy, well, then do it with a cheerful heart because God gave you that gift. Some of you are better at giving this gift of mercy, of helping people. Some of you are really, you just really enjoy it. You enjoy going out and helping and doing because you have the spiritual gift of mercy. And the the spirit, uh, grace is given to you and it's essential for service. Ephesians 4, 7, it says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. You receive gifts according to what he gives. And 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied, varied grace. So every person receives a gift. Every convert, every new believer receives a spiritual gift, and it is essential. Grace is essential for that. Number four, grace is essential for sanctification. Grace is essential for sanctification. Now, let me explain that a little bit. And, and I had to use the word sanctification because if you notice, I've got all my words starting with the letter S. You know, I'm trying to be, yeah, I, I should stop being clever, you know. But anyways, but, it, you know, basically what I'm saying here is grace is essential for growth. For growth spiritually. Maturity. Discipleship. You know, and a lot of people, that, that they wonder, why am, why am I not growing? Why don't I understand what's going on? Why is it that I'm not grasping what the Bible says. Some of you can grasp it right away. Some of you can understand what God's word says and and you're taking it in, but grace is essential for sanctification or growth, maturity. Paul says this in Acts 20 verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You see the word build you up? That's the sanctification, the process, or the growing up, or the maturing process. Because God can commend, he, what he does is he commends the word of grace, uh, of his grace, to be able to build you up and to give you the, the, the tools that you need. Just like any child, or just like yourself as well, just like any child, there are certain, uh, certain things that you have to give a child for them to grow. One, of course, is milk. Uh, and, uh, you know, the mother's milk is, is how many people prefer or choose to raise their child on. You know, there's formula, there's baby foods, there's certain things that you want to give a child. 
And if you're a new believer, if you're brand new to the church or if you're brand new to the Word of God, you don't want to start off on, you know, the book of Revelation or, you know, the Antichrist or all those. You want to start with milk. As a matter of fact, Paul calls it spiritual milk. You know, you can't be eating meat at a very young age. You'll choke. You'll get discouraged. You drink the spiritual milk and you develop one by one. What you saw today, those that went through the doctrine of grace, what you saw was the, uh, the, the, the growth process on every, everyone that was here that started the class, and it was difficult at first. As a matter of fact, <laughs> just kind of give you a little brief testimony of what happened. Remember, you guys remember that when we first started the class? And I told you guys, okay, here's the class. This is kind of like a seminary setting class. There's going to be a test after each lesson. Remember that? What would you guys do? Everybody freaked out. What? It's a test? Test? Like... <laughs> It's going to be a test after each lesson. No way. And they all freaked out. And, you know, I, I still freak out at tests. I, I don't do good at tests. Yeah, uh, a couple of guys got up and wanted to walk out. Wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> Let me explain this. There's, there was a test. We had a test. However, what we did is we did the test together. We did it together. We walked through the questions. And every one of them, every one of the questions were answered correctly by everybody. Everybody at, and, and then on top of that, everybody even gave even more so. You know, and, and that was maturity. And so I want to celebrate that by giving people the certificate and acknowledging their ability to, to not only go through the class but retain it. And, and I hear a lot of what has been taught, and they're, they're talking about it. And it's exciting. You know, wasn't it? And so this sanctification, this growing process, is a process that you have to be challenged in. And, and you have to take the step as well. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to, <laughs> look at this next verse. <coughs> in 2 Peter 3.18. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have to grow. You have to feed yourself. You have to pick up the Bible. You need to read the word. You need to saturate your mind with the word of God. You need a, a daily intake. You know, let me ask you, what happens if you skip breakfast and then you skip lunch? You probably double up on dinner, right? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm extra hungry, so I'm doubling up twice. And so you, you can't go more than a day. Well, maybe you can. After two days, you start feeling a little bit wheezy or dizzy. The third day, you know, your body just starts to eat itself. You're, you're considered to be fasting. The fourth day, uh, you know, you get headaches and your, your mouth is dry. And, you know, if you hadn't eaten, or, you know, that's the, these are the things that happen. That's exactly how you should feel when you don't get into the Word of God. Many people try to stay healthy by eating once a week, spiritually healthy. They come to church on Sunday, and uh, that's it. And then we wonder, why is it that it doesn't seem to stick? Why is it that I can't seem to get it? Well, it's, it's a daily process of sanctification. Peter says once again, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day for eternity. This is what we do on a daily basis. And when you get plugged into a church and you get plugged into, you need to plug into the small groups. You need to plug into the Bible studies. But most importantly, get into the word of God. And, and if you can't understand it, that's okay. There's a lot of times that there's a lot of things you don't understand. I, I, I remember one time one guy came up to me and says, you know, Pastor, I, I can't understand what, what the Bible says. You don't? He says, no. Well, do you understand the part where it says, do not lie? He goes, yeah. Well, well don't do that. Just don't do that. You, you understand the part where it says, uh, love your enemies? Yeah. Okay, well, do that. I, I can't do that. Says, you know, in just those two commandments right there, in just those two, 
you'll be working on it for most of your life. <laughs> just those two. And it's not that you don't understand it, I told him. It's that you just don't want to do it. You know, you, you get the word and says, what? I'll get, I'd rather, you know, it's easier to do evil. It's easier to do wrong. It really is. Because we are so conditioned into this world. We're so just with the wor world and the music and the TV and the people. And, you know, it's just, we're so conditioned. We've been doing this for years. For years. I, I share my personal testimony from time to time. And I know that at the age of 30, I was going to die. As a matter of fact, I went to church. I says, I'd like to take care of my kids and, you know, make them go to church and, you know, get them saved and well, all, that, all that other stuff. He says, well, what about you? He says, I'm done. Man, Pastor, I know what I've done, and I know where I've been, and I, I know what I've seen. You don't know. There's no way God's going to take me. There's no way. You know, I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to hell, and I don't want my kids to go there. And he says to me, I don't want you to go to hell either. And he shared this message with me, the grace, the saving grace, the grace that's essential for salvation. You know, you've done some vile things, I'm sure. But God saved you from that. And I looked at him, and I looked at my wife. We were both sitting there next to each other. You know what? If, the, if, the, if that's true, then I, I want in. And I never turned back since. Now, was I perfect? No. As a matter of fact, uh, yeah, we, everybody kept looking at, at, at us and said, well, what are they doing here? You know, those guys, aren't they drug addicts and alcoholics? You know, what are they doing here? <laughs> pastor would say, hey, this is a place for the sick. This is not a hospital for the saints. It's a hotel for the sinners. You know, healthy people don't come here. All of us are sick, and we all need Jesus Christ, and these, these people more than others. <laughs> they need your prayers. They don't need your words. Thank God for Brother Sotelo. Grace is essential for growing into sanctification, to becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, to grow, to mature, to develop. And you need the word of God on a daily dose. That has to happen. And you know what? When you have experienced the saving grace, you have been strengthened by this, this strengthening grace, and you have been uh, in, in put into place for this saving service. You are sanctified. You're being matured. Uh, and and you, know, you know what's going to happen is you're just going to give sacrificially. It's just, it, you have nothing else to give. You have nothing else to do, but you want, to, you want to give. You want to give of yourself. You want to give of your time. You want to give of your finances. And you, want to, you just want to give. And it's, you know, that's one of the things that, uh, that, that a lot of churches are, are accused of. All they want is your money. Well, I want you to know something. We don't. Matter of fact, we don't even pass around an offering plate. We don't. I, I've been to churches where they have this offering plate on a, on a stick. And they pass it out in front of you like this, right? And if you don't put something in there, they, come on, get to, oh, okay, they wake you up, they hit you upside the head with it. And you, you got to put it in. We don't even do that. We, we have an offering box back there, and we say, hey, look, Ken comes up, and he prays for the offering. He says, you know, if you'd like to give, there it is. You can do it online, too. You don't even have to do it here. If you don't want nobody to know what you're giving. But give if you can. If you can't, don't worry about that. However, one of the things that happens is we do give sacrificially. People look at our church and our people, and they're like, man, you know, you guys must be, where do you guys get all the money from? We get this building, all the. You know what? God provides. God has provided and provided and provided. If you had seen our building more than five years ago, ten years, and and you look at us now, you'd think, where, where all that come from? God. God has provided for us because we have a very sacrificial giving church, and nobody's broke. Everybody gives, including the pastor. 
And we give because we know that this is exactly what God has given us. There's nothing, nothing that can outgive God. No, there's no way we can outgive God. And so during this Christmas season, when we start thinking about giving, we start thinking about what we're going to receive and what you're going to give. Think about that great gift, the greatest gift ever. And it's the gift of grace. Because without grace, salvation is impossible. That was from the very beginning. When, when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them life. It was just a, a mud man, a doll, you know, that was just made out of dirt. It was a dirt, a bag full of dirt. That's all he was. Just, and he was just there. This mud man or man made out of mud couldn't say anything. Couldn't say, God, can you give me breath? God, can you wake me up? God, can you make me alive? It was dead, 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 dead. It was God that breathed into that mud man's nostrils and brought him to life. And he told him, he says, you know what? Here's all I want you to do. Go and tend the garden. Go work it. Take care of it. Oh, by the way, you can eat anything you want except for that one tree in the middle. I don't want you to, I don't want you to eat of that tree. What's the first thing he did? He says, what tree? That one? <laughs> What's the first thing he did? He went right toward it. And God told him, he says, look, if you, the moment you eat of that tree, you're going to die. It will kill you. Now, if you know the story, the tree didn't kill him. He ate the fruit, didn't die. God started his salvation through grace right there and then. He didn't change his mind. He didn't lie. He didn't uh, just, ah, never mind. You know, I was just kidding. No. God put into place that amazing grace that is available for you right now. Let me ask you to stand. There are a lot of things that that we look at, Lord, as we see the, the lights and the trees and, and just all the happiness and great things that are going on. And we thank you, Father, for just giving us and blessing us with so much that we're able to, to share with our friends and family. Thank you for how you've blessed us tremendously. But, Lord, the greatest gift that anyone can receive is the gift of grace. Grace has been described as God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is not deserved. Can't earn it. Can't pay for it. Grace is something that you give. And Lord, I know that you want to give your grace right now. Right now to those that haven't received it yet. And I pray, Father, that those within the sound of my voice online or wherever they may be can come to realization that this amazing grace is free and it's available. And that the proper way to respond is to be able to say, thank you. Now I repent. I turn from the wicked ways that I've been thinking and doing. And I, I, I want to change the way I live and change the way I think. I want to find your word and, and dive into it and learn more about who you are and how that can change my life. The proper response, Lord, is to fall down on our knees and say, God, have mercy upon me. I am a sinner. And Father, your amazing grace will reside in every person that commits their life to you. And I pray that this morning, the greatest gift that anyone can receive before midnight comes, before Christmas morning, would be this grace of salvation. 
Father, we know that there's only another alternative that we can run. And every time that a person runs even more so in the opposite direction, it hardens our heart. So I pray, Lord, that you break down every barrier, break down every every leather-filled and covered heart that that is uh, within the sound of this voice, that, that you just rip that open, Lord, and just invade. Invade that heart like you invaded this planet. Help us know, Father, because we need this strength that only you can give. We need to be able to serve in such a way that honors you and glorifies you. We, we need to grow more in you. And we need to give sacrificially, Lord. So I pray that you help us to understand that. More than anything else this Christmas, more than the baby in the manger, more than the perfect life that Jesus Christ lived, it would mean nothing if it was no, no resurrection. More than anything else is the grace, Father, that you have given us. And I pray that we hold on to that and share that with others. Thank you, Father, once again, for this joyous time that we're able to have as you lead us in all things. We pray these things. Oh, Father, one more thing. I, I just want to pray for the food that we're about to uh, partake of and the fellowship that we'll have. And uh, just bless the food and, and the time that we have together as we grow together in this time of celebration with one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. May the Lord be with you. Stick around for some good fellow shaping or shipping. I'm sorry. And I'll be up here for a moment if you'd like to come up and have a word. A word of prayer.